Is this the reading room? Yes, I'm Saad Manzul. And I'm Travis Howard. This is Reading Room Talk. Thank you for pressing play. Welcome. Welcome, welcome. I'm going to let Travis do the introduction. Oh, today. we got a special guest, and I'm so excited to have her on the podcast today. Yes. Uh, we have Dr. Jackson Bay, Dr. Tia Jackson Bay here. Um, how are you today? I'm well, Trav. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. Yes. Uh, tell me, um, Tia, we like to start out and talk about our journey um, and start out with the most difficult class you had in medical school. Oh. Or rotation. Oh, okay. The most difficult class in medical school. Um, okay. For me, it was probably brain and behavior. Really? Brain and yes. Behavior. And I know you loved brain and behavior. I sure did. I sure did. <laughs> A little background. T and I went to the same medical school. Shout out to the University of Cincinnati. Yeah. Shout out. <laughs> yeah. So funny thing is I, um, a little bit about my journey. So I'm originally from New York. I'm from Queens, born and raised. Oh, Queens. Um, All right. I went to college very far from Queens in Nashville, Tennessee at Vanderbilt. That's not Queens. (laughs) (laughs) And between college and medical school, I actually um, was out of school for quite some time. I worked for about two years and then I, um, you know, transitioned more into like the public health sector, was working with New York City Department of um, Health and Mental Hygiene. Nice. Actually, correctional public health. Now, I'm very grateful for my time doing public health. I really do feel like it's it's a calling. Mm -hmm. But the way I found myself there was because I was discouraged in undergrad from pursuing a medical degree. Oh, wow. And that had such a big impact on me that I didn't think I could hack it. So I was trying to figure out another way. So and when you say discouraged, like what, what, what specific things were happening to you? That yeah. you well, you know, you, I think there can be a very rigid view of what a pre-med student looks like. Oh, yeah. I, you know, was told, okay, you have to be a, a biochemistry major or you know, the science classes, which I enjoyed, but I actually really enjoyed like humanities too. Mm -hmm. So I found myself in a non-science major, but taking all of my pre-med, you know, requisites in addition. So I was carrying all of these courses and I think I got like a B or something in organic chemistry and that's a that's a great accomplishment by the way oh but you think it's the end of the world <laughs> but let me tell you and the the whatever his name was you know the health professions advisor told me i should need to look into nursing school oh, no shout out because no bees were not gonna cut it and i took <laughs> i i took it to heart i no lie if you look at my transcript the next semester i took nursing classes wow oh my gosh because what? i was like okay so not good enough mm-hmm. um so super important but then i found my way to university of cincinnati yeah. um to my people yeah and I, <laughs> I had a great experience there and i absolutely loved it yeah. Um, and so, you know, the hardest part of my undergrad journey, I would say, was physics. 
and <laughs> <Yeah>. definitely <laughs> the hardest part in like you know your your uh, clinical coursework in medical school for me was brain and behavior so brain and behavior is like psychi like psychiatry it's or like, like i guess it's like neuroscience neuroscience mm-hmm. Okay. For sure. us, it's all like the pathways and crazy oh, and all yeah. that stuff. And I, I like drawing the pictures, but I hated it. Oh, my oh God. So was it like the was it the pathways part of the neuroanatomy? What was I it? I think it was the the pathways and yeah. just like remembering everything. I just remember, you know, coming into medical school with a tremendous amount of trepidation. Right, I yeah. had that kind of chatter in the background of what this advisor told me from the start yeah discourage off the rip it's not absolutely i Mm -hmm. had been out of school for a while but versus a lot of the peers that you know just literally graduated college Mm -hmm. it took a while to get back into a study mode and it, it was a struggle you know initially but luckily i found my stride i mean i never failed a class or you know anything like that major I just remember brain and behavior was like the end of the first year and that was like the straw that broke me I was like why (laughs) (laughs) but you know made it and progressed on yes you did yeah so happy I did oh that's so good that's I mean that's important because uh you know we talked we talked to people and like you know there's like you know like you went through kind of a traumatic experience and you know somebody's telling you not to you're not going to be able to make it and you know some people can have post-traumatic you know stress and it sounds like you just kind of turn into growth where you're like you know i'm going to make this happen for myself like regardless you know? how'd you, you do know, that how'd you do I, it to you to god honest truth i don't know you know mm. i definitely um had to kind of forge my own path from the beginning so you know back to my queen's days i was in you know special schools that were outside of my neighborhood so i always Mm -hmm. had to you know take an extra bus and then for high school i had to take you know i call it a bus and three trains you know to get to school (laughs) in new york city on a you know navigating that always trips me out i see like 10 year olds on the train by themselves like yeah i mean i think about it now and i think it's (laughs) hilarious yeah. But, you know, I was definitely using, like, city buses at, like, eight or nine, you oh, know? Amazing. That's amazing. Um, but, you know, no one in my family had done this before. No <laughs> one that I could really recognize in my community had done this before. Mm-hmm. And I literally was kind of learning as I went along. It was not my parents, you know, kind of on my back. It was more me saying, okay, I think this is what I do next. And they looking at me like, is it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I, I think oh, this is so what good. happens next. And, you know, and, and luckily, you know, seeking advice from advisors, you know, unfortunately you're going to get people who naysayers, but, yeah. you know, there were always opportunities for me to just, you know, thank God we're in the age of the internet, look things up. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, kind of figure it out you know I never had no qualms about walking up to someone and saying hey I want to do this you know could you help me you know major yeah. key right there yeah sure yeah. yeah background on getting into University of Cincinnati so I had another medical school interview close by and I think Cincinnati was a place that I hadn't heard back from yet. And so mm-hmm. I just called a school and like totally was like, listen, I'm going to be there. I'm yes, not from yes, yes. Um, <laughs> you know, could I come for an interview at the same time? 
Yeah. And, you know, they granted me an interview. And Dr. Uh, Collins, you know, I walked into the room and he was like, who is this person? Because he didn't handpick me, right? Who the hell in here? Yeah. That's <laughs> so funny. And I had an amazing interview there. And, you know, obviously was able to matriculate there. So. That you guys, you guys got a little mini HBCU going on over there, man. I'm telling you, we had a group. We had a good had group, a supportive group. group. Yeah. It was supportive, and it was, you know, it worked for us. We mm-hmm. had, I mean, to be honest, under Travis, we were studying. We had help. <laughs> uh, yes, a class ahead of us, which makes a big difference. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, we had tutors who were free of charge and who were other classmates, you know, either mm-hmm. a year above you and stuff like that, that could help. And an environment where it was okay to just sit and learn and study. And that, that really made a difference, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And you had a good crew. Um, some of your classmates, you know, we, we hope to get them on the podcast as well. Just yeah. doing big things at various universities and um, yeah. just living life as happy physicians. And that's the key, right? You can work so hard to become a physician and, and, and achieve all these great goals. But these, you know, we're, we're talking about some people who are truly happy and taking care of people and, and trying to make this world a better place. So I... Um, yeah, that group that you have, it, I, I know that you gleaned some strength from them when it got tough. But it, but also, like, that glowing personality that you have, Tia, when, you know, you're not afraid to walk up to somebody and ask them for help or even just pick their brain. And right. um, and that's that's something, that's a gem that you dropped. So please, you know, it's hard for some people to do that. I get that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you can, people are willing to help as, if they know. If they know. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. You, know? you gotta you gotta think of it just as a notification you're just notifying them hey yeah. i'll take some help yeah. and you know people say the worst they can do is say no right and exactly it's not where you are so uh-huh. you just don't know they weren't helping you before and that and i mean that's really like a, a ongoing a lifelong lesson even for me you know yeah. the phase is mentorship mm-hmm. and you know sponsorship obviously giving back but then we all need those connections as we kind of navigate our career and, you know, what's the next step, what's the next choice and options. And so it's, it's an ongoing thing for sure. That's yeah. awesome. That's awesome. I think you got that. Uh, it just seems like, you, you know, you're able to like, you know, the skills from like just riding the buses and riding the, uh, <laughs> riding yeah, the train she, by yourself. She's a New Yorker. She, you, know, <laughs> you know, like, you're not going to be shy about asking for these no, things, you know, no, so that's, that's awesome. So, but tell us, how did you, How'd you end up from Queens? Like, how did you find your way to like Vanderbilt? Some crazy school, crazy tough school to get into. And yeah. what other schools were you looking at? And it's another, you- it's a serendipitous thing. You know, I had this idea. I don't know what it was growing up in a different world era where my idea of going to college was to go away. Mm-hmm. So I really didn't apply to many schools that were close to where I lived or mm-hmm. local. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my older sister went away to college. Like it was just this thing. And so I just applied to a lot of schools out of state. Um, And when it came down to it, Vanderbilt is the one that gave the biggest scholarship and financial aid package. And my mother said, oh, you're going there. And I was like, Tennessee? That's not the plan. 
That's right. That was just, you know, a little school to add on. You know, I think my college <laughs> counselor added it. Actually, I think her daughter's friend was going to law school there. Oh, and wow. she said, oh, it's a really nice school. And you're applying to Duke. You're applying to Emory. Maybe you should just add this one, too. And I was like, okay, fine. And, you know, <laughs> lo and behold, that's where I ended up. Oh, that's so good. It was interesting. It was interesting. You know, at the time, I was a Vanderbilt student. Um, they were really working hard to diversify the the patient or the student body, I should say. Mm-hmm. And it was a work in progress. It was not the Vanderbilt that it is today. Mm-hmm. Um, it was very Southern. It had a reputation as, you know, some people call it the Harvard of the South, but it was really like a country club. Oh, yeah. It was a place for very wealthy, white, Southern Christian children to go. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and it was a big clash a big culture shock you know growing up in new york city where we saw everyone i grew up in a predominantly black neighborhood Mm -hmm. but then i went to high school and it was basically like united nations like we had over 100 countries represented and you know tons of languages spoken and then i was like dropped off on a country club and i was like (laughs) come again (laughs) oh man now, did you find some friends or like, how did you like, you know, kind of assimilate? So the funny thing is, you know, my class, because they were trying so hard with the diversity efforts, you know, we had the largest number of African-American students that they'd ever had in one class. And we were maybe like a hundred out of 1600, something hmm, like that. Wow. Yeah, it had doubled. It had doubled since the year before, so it was oh, like wow. 50. Yeah. So it was a big shock. I think, unfortunately, at the time, they were trying really hard, but didn't have all of the supports in place, Right. Um, especially because kids were coming from all over the country. And so even to get together, there were still differences amongst us, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I will, I will never downplay, uh, my experience there. I had a wonderful educational experience aside from that, you know, dude telling me to apply to nursing school. Mm-hmm. Um, there were a lot of opportunities, you know, I was able to travel, was mm-hmm. able to really enjoy my undergraduate major. I still wish I would have taken more, you know, language and history classes. Yeah. Um, and then, you, you know, you move on, you go from there. Yeah. Wow. So you get to Cincinnati and you're making it through first and second year. You've made it past neuroanatomy. Yeah. Um, and and um, the pathways. And, and then you find yourself to OBG. How did you get to, to your specialty? And tell us, tell us what you do in your specialty and, yeah. and, and how, wonderful, how wonderful that is for you. Yeah. yeah. So what I do, my day job is um, I'm called a reproductive endocrinologist and infertility specialist. The acronym for our subspecialty is REI, like the sporting goods store. Mm-hmm. But um, we are a subspecialty of obstetrics and gynecology. And mm-hmm. I primarily deal with anything that has to do with human reproduction. So either, you know, individuals or couples who are having problems getting pregnant mm-hmm. or people who um, have, you know, maybe medical conditions that affect their fertility um, and therefore, they're looking to preserve their fertility, like cancers that couldn't, you know, if they need a special surgery or chemo, and we know that that's going to affect their fertility in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, now we're dealing more with 
you know, persons who are transgender and maybe want to um, preserve their fertility before they undergo like hormone therapy that can change their options in the future. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, we do surgery and and all of these different things. You know, the mainstay, I think, is that we see a lot of patients who deal with infertility. And, you know, one of the the most common treatments we use is in vitro fertilization. Now, can you explain that to our uh, people who have not made it to medical school yet? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, if there's a, if a couple is trying to get pregnant and, you know, either one of two things, either in the relationship, there's no sperm or no eggs, uh, like in a same sex couple, Mm -hmm. or if they've been trying for, you know, six months, a year or more and haven't achieved a pregnancy, Um, And that we consider that to be infertility and they would come to see somebody like myself. Mm -hmm. Um, In vitro fertilization is a process by which we help to grow multiple eggs. We remove those eggs from the body and inseminate them with sperm in a lab. So this is all happening in vitro instead Mm -hmm. of in vivo, which would be in body. Mm -hmm. Um, Create embryos, which is the very early stages of, you know, a pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And then we would transfer our embryo back into a uterus in order to achieve pregnancy. And so- Crazy. <laughs> <It's amazing. laughs> it is amazing. Oh, my God. I, make you, I know you make so many people, you know, so happy, you know, fulfilling yeah. dreams. and gift of life. Exactly. Absolutely. How did you get to, to this, this specialty, this subspecialty? Well, actually, I have to say, I have to give you some flowers real quick because REI, <laughs> I've heard, is like, one of the toughest, toughest fellowships to get into, like in all of medicine. So. Oh, yeah. So it's, tell it's, us. Pretty, it's pretty selective, I will say. I'm not surprised. One of my partners <laughs> loves to remind people that we're actually in training as long as neurosurge. That's right. And longer than, you know, general cardiology because they do three years of residency and three years of fellowship. We do four years of residency and three years of fellowship. Man. Um, <laughs> And so it's 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 a great field. I absolutely love it. Um, it's again one of those serendipitous things. I probably would have never known about it had it not been for University of Cincinnati. Um, it was actually during an anesthesia rotation, like an anesthesia selective or something. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm in the operating room, and we happen to be in the OR of Dr. Mike Thomas. Mm. who's a big REI at Cincinnati and nationally. He's going to be the president of our national, like, um, reproductive medicine um, group next year. Very cool. Oh, that's wonderful. Wow. So um, I'm in the operating room with him, and he's told me, he's heard me tell this story multiple times, but I'm doing the anesthesia, and then I get, you know, surgeons. I get a little bored after the patient's (laughs) intubation. And so I'm kind of, you know, peeking over and he's doing something minimally invasive means he's using a camera inside the uterus, but we're all looking at a TV screen so we can see what's happening. Mm -hmm. And he's doing these hysteroscopies and laparoscopies. And I'm just so interested. And he's like, well, what are you doing up there? Like, you need to come around here. Oh, yeah. You know, just telling me about the (laughs) surgery and what happens and kind of pimping me and stuff. And so at the end of this OR day, he said, listen, if you're interested in this, you should come and join our research meetings wow. and, you know, made one of his fellows give me the, the, the information. And that was it. And I literally, wow. as a medical student, started going to their research meetings. If I was on a rotation that allowed, because it started at five o'clock on Mondays, I'll never forget. 
Wow. If I was on a rotation that allowed, I would just pop in. And that way I got on a few research projects and they just kind of got to know me and I'd be there with the fellows and they were doing their didactics and I'd just be listening in. That's awesome. And I thought this was such a cool field. I come from a huge family. Um, I had no idea that some people struggled so hard to build their families. Mm-hmm. And that just struck me as so heartbreaking that, you know, people could work so hard and not achieve something that we obviously took for granted. Right, right, right. And that, that, that was my introduction to the field. And to be honest, I haven't really looked back. That's awesome. So you basically chose OBGYN knowing you were going to try to do REI at the time. Yep. I had an interest in women's health for sure. I really... Mm-hmm enjoyed it but i knew that was gonna be the end result was eventually to be an rei gotcha gotcha and how did that affect like how you chose like your residency program then? well for me it was important to be at a place that was going to give me well-rounded exposure to mm-hmm. all of the subspecialties knowing that i wanted to you know how competitive subspecialty applications can be in fellowships mm-hmm. oh yeah so i wanted um access to all the subspecialties. I wanted a a residency that was rigorous, um, that had good clinical volume. And that really, you know, I think when you're a medical student, you're very nervous about malignant programs. Mm -hmm. You know, what I mean by malignant is places where, you know, they have a bad reputation Mm -hmm. for not being very humanistic. um, Yeah kind of, you know, just really rough on people and young doctors. And and I was going to say, it's crazy. I mean, it can just be one or two characters that can kind of ruin the whole program. Sometimes it's not the whole program. Stink it up. That's yeah. so true. <laughs> they stink it up. And, yeah, you man. know, especially in OB, I remember people telling me in Cincinnati, you shouldn't be an OB. The, you know, those women are too crazy. Those doctors are so mean. <laughs> I think you're too nice for that field. Oh, you're never going to sleep again. Oh, your life is going to be your life is going to be this and that and I was just like so nervous. So a big, you know, thing to me was I wanted to go somewhere where the residents were happy, mm-hmm. where the education was solid, um where I could, you know, not feel, you know, as all residents probably do feel at some time, you know, depressed and forlorn and yeah. I'm picking up on a trend though to you. Uh-huh. Along your path, some people come at you with that negativity. You can't do it. It's yep. not going to work out for you. You're not <laughs> going to sleep. You it's should true. be a nurse. It's and true. you have a way of just pushing them aside and keeping keeping focused on your goal. That's queen. I, I just, I think that's amazing. And I'm just, I'm grinning from ear to ear hearing you talk about how you <laughs> overcame all of that. Because at some point, side myself, we all have encountered the naysayers. Mm-hmm. And you, you have to have a way of, a way of, they have to be there to get through that. So, yeah, they got to be there. Yeah. This is just how it is. So that's really good though. That's, uh, that's awesome. I mean, you made it happen for yourself. You went out there and you, you knew what you wanted to do. You kind of luckily ran into people along the way that helped you and people along the way that you were able to be like, oh, I'm not going to take your advice, but thank you. <laughs> so. Absolutely. You know, for residency, I landed at Duke uh-huh. and it was a great match. Well, first of all, you don't land at Duke. 
<laughs> you get selected for Duke. That's Congratulations. Really on that. true. It was, uh, it was my top choice. I was super happy to go. Um, and I, I had a great experience there, you know, mm-hmm. um, in terms of exposure. You know, I just knew clinically I was going to be very strong leaving that program. And mm-hmm. I really felt that. Um, so there was there was no complaints on my end there. But you're right, Travis, you know. Even my chair at Duke was like, you sure you want to be an egg sucker? Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, see. He wanted me to be MFM. The gynos wanted me to be an onk. You know, everybody yeah. was like, why don't you do something else? Uh-huh. Oh, you getting recruited. But part of that is because people don't think that black women have infertility. Mm. Right? Okay. And so, you know, part of that was like, well, you're so... You know, you you love the the served, the underserved, mm-hmm. and you're not going to see any underserved in infertility care. Like that's for rich white women. Uh-huh. Oh, touche! Oh, my, oh, that little young baby brain said, "No, that's not true." That's there you go. Talk, so talk, talk about that. Talk about it. That's so real. That's yeah. so real. And, and, uh, you know, I was going to say, I mean, we're both radiologists, and we were kind of told the same thing. It's like, why don't you go? do primary care and help people that way. Don't you want yeah. to see your people? But like, no, you can help your people in any way. But, but what you're really shedding light on is the fact that there are, there are there's a, a population of African-Americans and minorities or, you know, there are people who need help, your help in doing what you do, but you, it, you have a skewed view. Most people have a skewed view and not thinking that there are infertility issues in, in those communities. So, exactly. um, and again, you know, you 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 stay you stay focused on your goal, and now you're. Ha- Tell me what you do from day to day. Like, who who are you seeing, and what are your efforts to help improve or, or decrease that healthcare disparity? Yes, absolutely. So I see literally all comers from all walks of life, from you know patients who can pay for these kind of services out of pocket to patients who, you know, are on public insurance and maybe had to save, you know, to pay a $400 consultation fee to see me. Um, You know, I I really enjoy working in the practice where I work. I'm back in New York City. I work in Brooklyn. Okay. Um, I'm REI at RMA of New York in Brooklyn. And, you know, a big part of the draw for me was working in one of the most culturally diverse counties in the country mm-hmm. um, because I wanted to make sure that everyone knew that you're, you matter mm-hmm. and that your concerns for family building matter. And look, you have options right here where you live. Exactly. Um, and so my patient population reflects that. I see everybody. No. <laughs> so cool. Um, That's they great. Heads over heels, you know, and, you know, all with the same goal, either to um, just learn more about their own reproductive health, which I really encourage. There's a lot more, um, you know, younger people and younger women who are saying, you know, I didn't really talk about this growing up. I don't really know, you know, um, I, I want children in the future. I'm not ready for them now. What What are my options? Mm-hmm. All the way through, you know, persons who have been trying for a long time mm-hmm. um, and they're running into difficulty. And, you know, sometimes they also tell stories of, you know, being mistreated in other places, their concerns not being heard. 
them not feeling valued or just comfortable, you know, mm-hmm. with providers. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that's a very sensitive topic. You know, they're coming in to talk to you about absolutely. something super, super sensitive. So, you know, they yeah. have to be comfortable. Yeah, it is. Absolutely. What's most challenging about your, your job now to you? Your um, career, I should say. I would say a few things. One, you know, these first few years out of training is kind of like, so now what? When you're in training, <laughs> you're always preparing for the next step. Right? Uh-huh. So yeah. you're in medical school, all you can think about is residency. When yeah. you're a resident, you're like, mm, I got to do fellowship or even year to year, you know, mm-hmm. This got to do that. You're a fellow, you know. You're learning and you're growing, but then you're you're thinking about your job or you know your your academic CV. Mm-hmm. Yep. Get the job, and then you're kind of like, well, what is it really that I want to do? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and that takes some time. That takes some, you know, kind of refining. I think for me, it takes some mentorship as well. Yeah. Um, you, you can know, always I, have mentors. Doesn't matter what. Yeah. days in life you are they're always mentors. and You're they help mentors. yeah exactly. so that's that's actually you know that's a challenge not a negative one but it's, mm-hmm. it's something that you know i kind of revisit from you know time and time again is how do you kind of keep yourself engaged and not just kind of get on this conveyor belt but mm-hmm. really direct yourself in the way that you want to go and sometimes it takes a while to define where it is you want to go yeah. That's that's great self reflection, you know. That I think that helps you keep your finger on the pulse and, and helps you grow, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. And I was gonna say, um, so like you're in Brooklyn, you're seeing patients. How shocked are they when you walk into the room? <laughs> um, a lot of them are very happy and that I'm makes sure. Oh god, it's the best yeah. feeling. I'm and sure. that really makes me happy that yeah. they are they feel comfortable. Um, they feel like they can let their hair down. <laughs> yes. Cars for everyone that they know. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> and you know we're we're all practicing the same medicine, but you know there is something about being familiar. And, and like I said, my patients come from all walks of life, and mm-hmm. I felt this way in other cities. I feel most comfortable in a diverse setting. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean a black setting. That means where everybody feels comfortable to do them. Yes. And yeah. I think that's what my patients feel too. Is like it helps them to feel like things are progressive, things have changed. I have, you know, so many patients say, I'm happy to have a female physician. Like yeah. even my mom says, like, that's incredible that all of her <laughs> girlfriends are OBGYN. She said, I've never had a, a female OBGYN, you know. <laughs> Oh, that's so, so cool! It's, it's it's cool, you know, in that in that regard, for sure. I love yeah. love it. And uh, I guess on that same note, can you tell us about where you are last week? Uh, at NMA. Yeah. Oh yes. Oh yeah. So you know, NMA or National Medical Association was founded in 1895, and this is you know one of the oldest organizations that caters to the needs of African-American physicians in the U.S. Mm-hmm. You know, the reason why NMA was founded was because there were colleges and then medical schools where Black people could attend after, you know, slavery was abolished and after, during Reconstruction. But the reason being is because you were not allowed in white hospitals and you could not treat white patients. 
Mm-hmm. You could not join white professional organizations like Talk the about AMA. It. Mm-hmm. Right, mm-hmm. right. So a group of doctors tried to petition to join the AMA. They were denied. They were denied. And they said, we're going to have to create our own organization. Because remember, at this time, the, the country was completely segregated. Mm-hmm. You know, you could have anything you want, but just don't come, don't cross this line. <laughs> so, you know, there were black doctors, there were black lawyers, there were black teachers, uh, bankers, you know, entrepreneurs, business people. But that was because you keep that over there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, so, you know, the AMA or the NMA grew out of that. Um, and became this organization that's still relevant today because it looks out for, you know, um, the interests of African-American physicians. It's really kind of shifted its focus more towards, you know, health disparities and Mm -hmm. um, helping patients of color, um, you know, just address issues and and topics that are important to us. Um, And so they have an annual meeting every year. um, And I, I attended maybe the past few meetings of course you know with covid i think we had stopped one or two years yeah um but this was the first meeting back since 2019 mm-hmm. um, so people were really excited to be back and it's always a good event you know primarily i you know belong to the OBGYN section so i'll do some lectures that are you know relevant to my subspecialty but for general OBGYNs or, you know, for other subspecialists too, you That's know, wonderful. to learn what's new, to discuss some topics um, and kind of, you know, give back in that way. And then also to be poured into, yes. you know, I yeah. see my mentors from Duke. I see mentors <laughs> who helped me, you know, I kind of had to have a network of people during fellowship. I had a really rough fellowship experience. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I called one of my mentors at Duke and said, you know, I don't know. I don't know. This is looking kind of hairy. Oh, wow. He said, mm-hmm. call Erica. And I was like, I don't even know her. <laughs> She's like a superstar. I can't call her. Oh. And I mean, at an NMA meeting, she talked me off the ledge. Wow. And who is who, this is Erica who? Erica Marsh. Oh, shout out, Erica Marsh. Yeah, yeah. Erica Marsh. She's now the REI uh, division chief at um, University of Michigan. Oh, big things pop. Um, a huge researcher of uterine fibroids, a condition mm. that kind of, um, you know, substantially affects African-American women. Absolutely. Know about those. Yeah. <laughs> and so she just talked me down in just such a calm, nice way. And I mean, between her and other people just saying, just hang in there, just stick with it. Mm-hmm. And mama made it. I couldn't even like, I was like falling all over her at this meeting. Like, can you believe it? Wow. <laughs> oh, oh, man. So so We're going to have to talk to you again because I want to know about this Harry <laughs> Fellowship experience. Yes. I want the details. <laughs> and, uh, but oh, my gosh, you're a superstar. Tia, I'm just so happy Absolutely. about you. Absolutely, yeah. out here doing it in the middle of middle of Brooklyn. I love it. Just yeah. back back where you're from, and just uh, you know helping out people with all the new information you have in your head now, which is amazing. So, no, that's so good. So, we'll get you out of here on this last question, though. So, what would you tell someone who's struggling in medical school or undergrad? Oh, uh, I think you know. The first thing is to kind of be honest with yourself um, about struggling, because I think sometimes it can be so shameful that yeah, it's okay. Yeah. It's okay. 
that can you know prevent you from getting the help that you need isolating don't let um, don't let it happen mm-hmm. and, you know back to my undergrad days of feeling a little shaky in this um it was like a biology course or something and you know most of my other friends had dropped pre-med so i'm the only one <laughs> yeah. and i was like you know i gotta go to office hours i gotta sit in this person's office and they have to explain this to me mm-hmm. and that's what i did <laughs> and i mean this was the professor not a ta wow not shy and i love it. the next exam i got 100 and he wrote on it he said is this the same tia <laughs> oh wow <laughs> So, was he was joking? No, but he was just, you know, noting improvement. I was like, Yeah. That's what wow. it is though. That's exactly yeah. how you do it. That's exactly but, you how know, you do that's it. you you have to kind of uh put pride aside mm-hmm. and you know seek the help that you need. If it's tutors, um, if it's you know, sometimes some extracurricular, you know, look at your schedule, see what's really feasible for you. Are you taking too many classes? Are there some things that are distracting? Um, you know, unfortunately you may have to have some commitments. I worked every semester in college and, you know, that can be a challenge that other students maybe don't have. Mm -hmm. Um, but at the same time, you have to kind of figure out a way to work around it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That makes sacrifice. Yeah. And, uh, again, again, just not being shy, asking for help. Tenacious, tenacious Tia. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. I love it. I love it. Thank you so much for being here with us and sitting down with us. We're going to have you back and we're going to have you talk more about all these experiences and the fact that you you made it. You're out here. You're doing it. And uh, we we appreciate everything that you're doing and we'll be rooting for you, of course. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, No problem. It's my pleasure. Thanks so much for inviting me. No problem. No problem. We appreciate it. Until next time, everybody, stay low and keep fire. Keep fire.